Alrighty, folks. Uh, welcome to How to Beat Your Kids at Board Games. I'm John. And I'm Dan. And uh, today we are talking to you about uh, Klaus Teuber's uh, German-style board game, The Settlers of Catan. Yes, that's Klaus Teuber's German-style game, Settlers of Catan. Yes, um, you may have heard of this game. Um, it's it's fairly common, I think, among among our our peers, um, both Dan and I. Uh, oh yeah, it's um, a game about you know taking over an island and um, developing it and uh, harvesting resources from it. So um, yeah, and that's it's what we're going to tackle today. Um, so Dan, how how are you doing, man? You know, I'm doing great. I'm really excited that we're talking about our first German style board game. You know, I'm wondering, John, what distinguishes the German style? Oh, well, German style, um, it's very unique from other uh, styles of board game. Uh, a few, you know, sort of facets of it um, would be uh, that they de-emphasize luck in favor of strategy and planning. So, you know, unlike games that we've covered um, earlier in this podcast, such as I think the one that most easily comes to mind is Parcheesi, um, where you know, most of the game is dice rolling and a little bit of it is making strategic decisions. Um, Settlers of Catan is a lot more about those decisions. And um, while there is a fair bit of chance going on, um, you know, you definitely still have to play smartly if you're going to get the best results. Um, so that's one facet. Um, another uh, sort of thing that goes along with these German style games uh, is the idea of abstraction. So, um, and I like to think of this as kind of just how well the game is themed. Um, so Settlers of Catan, you know, you, you, when you're playing it, you definitely are shown through the game pieces and the board that you are settling on an island. Um, you know, some games, uh, such as Monopoly or, or Parcheesi might not, you know, you, you're going around on tiles, but, um, it's a little bit hard to make the connection that each tile you're going on has some sort of meaning, um, other than the names of the Monopoly properties, right? Um, in Settlers, you're you're looking at an island, and you're looking at um, little game pieces that look like houses and um, and roads and cities. Um, so it's pretty clear what you're doing in this game, even though uh, you know you're just using little symbols and tokens to make it feel like you're settling this island. Um, a couple other things to do with German style games would be they tend not to eliminate players as you go. Um, you know, for example, Uno and Risk, uh, both are games that we've featured that have aspects to them where you can remove players as you go. And the German style games tend not to do that. Um, and neither does Catan. And um, the last thing I'll mention is player interaction instead of direct conflict. So uh, in a game like Risk, which, you know, isn't German style, uh, you have players that are directly attacking one another. They're, you know, you're t if you're conquering a territory, you're taking over someone else's territory. Um, whereas in Settlers, um, you're developing your own board, but not necessarily at the cost of uh, your opponents. So there's definitely a lot of interaction in, in, in which you can, you know, take up space on the board that your opponents would like uh, to be occupying, but you're never directly uh, fighting them. You're not removing their pieces from the board in any way. Um, so this is cool. It can be a, a bit friendlier um, game in this way. You know, you can still definitely get frustrated, but um, you might not, you know, get quite as angry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What I, what I like about uh, Catan, and we've so we sort of touched on this uh, on the Uno episode, um, but some like, I guess they're it's like Euro games versus American style games. So Euro games, 
is another word for German style games. But, uh, you know, that no elimination part is kind of nice because you don't have somebody lose early and just sit on the sidelines for another half hour. You know, everybody's constantly in the action. And I guess that's that's kind of a double-edged sword, too, because sometimes you're losing really badly and you just want it to be over. But, uh, you know, as as a very uh, wise sage of Catan, uh, delighted, once said, uh, maybe that is an opportunity to consider your strategy and what you would do better next time. <laughs> yes, and um, you'll hear us probably reference Delighted and um, other uh, Catan YouTubers uh, later in the podcast um, as they featured really heavily in our own research. Um, a lot of there are a lot of great resources out there on Catan. Um, when it, you know could be the board game geek forums that's a place we usually go to do our research but also youtube now is another place we've begun to uh utilize heavily when we are you know getting ready and and uh, ex- expanding our skills in this game and uh boy will i tell you i <laughs> i think i've gotten a, not that i'm good but i've definitely gotten a lot better at Catan in the last couple weeks <laughs> yeah i mean basically anything you want to get better at these days you can learn via youtube which is great um yeah, Trichosaurus is another great resource that we used. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and we'll put in links to their channels. Um, you know, we yeah, we really appreciate them putting out this content for us. It's pretty nice. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, yeah, I mean, I guess the last thing to wrap up is that, um, you know, I think it's interesting that Catan is, is a German game, but I very much feel like, especially among the people that I know, that it's a household name among board games. So, you know, I think it's one of the first or one of the most popular, like, famous games to sort of breach into the American market. Um, you know, it was made in 1995, um, and it's still played here, you know, 25 years later, still being played competitively, um, still being played casually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, even in, like, the base version, which is what we'll be talking about today. Oh, yeah. Uh, being played even virtually. So uh, in these pandemic times, uh, if you log on to Steam, you can play this Catan board game uh, with people across the world or with computer players lots of different ways to play okay so let's uh get into the actual game now um so so basically the way we're gonna break this down is first we're going to uh refresh you a little bit on the rules it's not going to be a rules blitz because we couldn't get through all of that in a blitz fashion but uh we're gonna refresh you a little bit on the uh the main rules and structure of the game we're going to talk through the beginning uh, settlement placement phase, um, and then we'll go through some early game strategy and some late game strategy and um, highlight some differences between those. Yeah, that sounds good, man. Are you ready to get diving in? Oh, yeah. Here we go. Okay, so um, Settlers of Catan, uh, it's the game with all the hexagons. And no, I'm not talking about Civilization Five or Six. Um the game is made up of uh, the base game. You're playing on an island made up of a bunch of hexagon tiles. Um, and around the edge of the island is a bunch of water. Um, so you can't really, uh, you know, build on the water. But you can build on in between the hexagon tiles. Um, so you're going to be placing roads, um, cities, and settlements uh, in between these tiles. And each tile will correspond to a different resource, which you'll use to you know, make and, you know, yeah, to produce these um, roads, cities, and settlements. Yeah. Yeah, and each uh, each of these hexagons will have a number on it. 
Uh, so if the dice roll that number, the sum of the dice matches that number, uh, then anybody who has a settlement or a city bordering that uh, hexagon tile will receive one or two of that resource. One if it's a settlement and two if it's a city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, if you even have multiple settlements on the same one, you get a lot. You can oh, get yeah. a lot more uh, resources. So, yeah. And so that's kind of, uh, yeah, that's what the board looks like. Uh, you'll see, you know, different resources on the board. Um, you'll have a tile that looks like wheat. Um, a lot of, you know, sort of uh, debate over what these things are called. Um, you know, I usually go wheat, wood, brick, ore, and sheep. Um, but I've heard a lot of other things. For example, I know for sure that sheep is... Um, looks like sheep, but oh, it's, it's called supposed wool, to be called right? wool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not actually sheep because I don't think sheep is a commodity, <laughs> but um, wool definitely is. <laughs> I thought it was mutton. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe it's just mutton. Um, yeah, um, you know, I, a lot of people call it. I've I've heard people call the ore tiles. It just looks like a big mountain. So I've heard people just say mountain. Uh, would you Would you like to trade me some mountain? Uh, no, I don't think I can do that. But I will trade you some ore. So yeah, it's you know, it's your first point of contention in the game is just what you call the different tiles. Absolutely. Yeah. So these different resources that John touched on these uh, wheat, brick, wood, sheep, and ore, uh, they can be used to build different. Um, artifices i suppose um edifices any anyway uh you've got a settlement um which we've already discussed gives you one uh one of that resource that bordering resource we've got a city um that gives you two um the settlement can be built with one wood one brick one sheep and one wheat and the city can be built with two wheat and three ore you can also build roads in between your cities and settlements. Um, actually, you have to. <laughs> you have to, actually, yeah. If you, you can connect your roads uh, either to your own settlement or to your own road. That takes one brick and one wood. Uh, and then you can also buy a development card, uh, which can do a, a lot of different things, which we'll touch on later. Uh, but that costs one sheep, one wheat, and one ore. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, we just gave you a little quick and dirty, but the... Um... The board game itself comes with a little tile that um, shows you exactly what you need for everything. And uh, yeah, it's important to remember that, you know, some things are more valuable than other others. Um, for example, um, sheep are only used for settlements and development cards, but um, wheat are used, is used for settlements, um, cities, and development cards. So wheat's, you know, really valuable. Um, yeah, and uh, we might be getting a little ahead of ourselves here. I, I noticed I, uh, I did some skipping along on our outline, uh, but the object of this game, uh, well, quite frankly, is to build out, uh, to develop the island. Um, but the way that your development is tracked is in victory points. Um, and so each settlement that you build is worth one victory point, for example. Each city, which um, goes on top of a settlement and replaces it, uh, is worth two. Um, and there's other ways to earn points, such as the longest road and um, having the largest army. But normally in a game, you need to find a way to get up to 10 victory points. And um, that's how you win the game. So you'll need to build a lot of settlements, a lot of cities, um, and do a couple other things here and there. Um, but that's how you win. And you're going to do all this using all the resources you get from your cities and settlements. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh, and actually, you're you're limited to the total number you can build uh, to. This might be getting a little ahead of of, of ourselves, but 
like Monopoly, you're limited to the uh, game pieces you're given. So you cannot build more than, you know, five settlements at a time or more than four cities at a time, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's just uh, reminiscent of that housing shortage strategy, which um, we talked about quite extensively in our uh, first episode of this podcast, the Monopoly episode. But yeah, so that's a little bit about how the uh, main, you know, ways that you're going to go about developing your your settlements are. Right. That was a weird sense, but okay. Um, some other things that you'll need to know is um, this guy called the robber. Um, now, every time a seven is rolled, every time the die the dice sum up to seven, which, by the way, is the most common roll. One um, out of six. Yeah, one out of six uh, rolls, theoretically, should be a seven. Um there's a little piece called the robber and um, whoever rolls the seven can move the robber to any tile on the board. Um, when they do, uh, they get to steal one random resource from anyone el- anyone who has built a settlement around that tile. Um, and the tile they put the robber on now uh, doesn't produce any resources until the robber is moved. Um, the last thing about the robber is that if you have eight or more cards in your hand, so eight or more resources, not development cards, um, and a seven is rolled, uh, you're forced to discard half of them to the bank. Um, So you basically, you know, you kind of can get penalized for holding too many cards for too long. Um, It's almost like, yeah, you you, you can't, um, it's like flying too close to the sun, for example. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that's sort of the robber. And then, um, Dan, could you explain development cards for us? Yeah, so development cards, uh, forgive me if I don't get these ratios right, um, but development cards, uh, like I said, can be purchased with or wheat and sheep, and uh, it can be a knight that you get. So the development cards can be a knight, a monopoly, a, a victory point, actually, um, or a uh, road building or a year of plenty. I believe those are the five. Yeah, yeah, you got monopoly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I got Monopoly. Mm-hmm. Monopolyception, everybody. <laughs> so um yeah, so so basically these um allow you to do a number of things depending on what you draw, obviously. Uh so a knight will allow you to move the robber. Uh a, a monopoly lets you just take all of any resource that's on the board, which can be incredibly valuable and also somewhat dirty under certain circumstances, which we'll get into. Uh, year of Plenty, you can grab any two resources for free from the bank. Uh, road Building, you can build two roads for free. And then a Victory Point, I should not have to explain what that gives you. It gives you one Victory Point. Yeah. <laughs> yep, just sits there. And um, But the cool part is that no one else knows that you have it. Um, exactly. These development cards, when you buy them, you're the only one who gets to look at them until you play them. And the special thing about the Victory Point cards is that... Um, you don't ever really have to play them. You just hold them in your hand until you have 10 points and then you show them to your opponents and win. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the, the deck is roughly 48% knights and then about 12% of everything else, maybe 16% roll. Yeah, it's, it's like there's, I think it's 14 knights, okay. five victory point cards, mm-hmm. And then two of all the other cards. So two Monopolies, okay. two Years of Plenty, and two uh, Road Building. Okay, I might have the number sense. of Knights wrong, but okay. yeah, it's either 14 or 16 Knights, I think. Okay. Yeah. So most of the cards are Knights. Um, and that's important because uh, the person who has the most Knights played um, 
will have the largest army as soon as they have played their, th you know, as soon as there's at least three knights um, that you have in front of you, um, you can claim the largest army. And then from then on, whoever has the most knights out um, gets two points, two victory points, basically, from having the largest army. So, you know, that's one way to score a couple extra points um, if you don't really have a spot to put down another settlement and city. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And there are certain strategies that explicitly feature sort of buying development cards as sort of the road to victory. We'll get into that. Um, so I think the last couple things we wanted to mention uh, were ports and roads. Yeah. Um, so ports uh, exist on sort of the edges of the board. Uh, I think it's like every other space or whatever on the, on the yeah. side. I'm you not can exactly either, sure. You can but... either have them... Um... Basically, the the original game comes set up to where the ports are always in the same spots, um, but you can also place them randomly around the coast. So, up to you. Yeah. So, basically, a port uh, will either be a three-for-one or a two-for-one. The three-for-ones, uh, if you have access to the port, which means you've built a settlement or a city uh, on that hex that you know explicitly borders the port, um, then you can trade three of any of your resources for one uh, resource from the bank. So mm -hmm. so three of one type of resource for one type of resource from the bank. Uh, and then the two-for-ones will be you trade two of a specific type of resource for one resource from the bank. And these ports uh, are valuable in different ways um, and may be preferable one over the other depending on the game circumstances. But again, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Uh, and then roads, um, quite simply, roads are sort of like oxygen. You can't really you can't really do anything um, if you don't have roads between um, if you don't have the ability to build roads, uh, I guess. So you can't build any more settlements unless you've built a road to where you want to build the settlement, for mm -hmm. example. I mean, I, I shouldn't say you can do nothing. There are some things you can do without building roads, but you're severely limited. Yeah. Um, and one thing that one reason you might think, oh, I wonder why you do need roads to build out to make settlements. But um, one rule about settlements is that you can't place a settlement that would be right next to any other settlement or city. So, you you know, if, if your opponent has a uh, um, has a, as a settlement, like one, you know, one little tick over from your settlement, you can't put a new one. You can't put a new one down. Um, so you have to build roads out to the places that are, you know, viable to settle. Otherwise, you can't expand at all. Yeah. Okay, so I think that covers it for sort of the basics. Just the longest the road, rules. I think. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> a big one. Okay, yeah, so so uh, the person who has built the longest road, as long as it's over five um, spaces, uh, is granted two victory points. Um, so this can be very important. Uh, obviously, two victory points is a fifth of the way there. Um, it doesn't it doesn't stay with you. Uh, if, if somebody else uh, ends up building a road longer than yours, um, even if you were the first to five, uh, you lose that and those two victory points to that other person. Um, also, if somebody builds a settlement um, like on your road and like cuts your longest road in half, then yeah, you'll, you'll probably lose your longest road. Um, you know, it'll be decreased by, you know, as much as your, as much as the segment that was cut off by that settlement. Yep. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, I guess I don't have much to add other than the fact that once you put a road down, no one can move it too. That's one thing to think about. Yeah. And, so and can they can't of, build on top of your road either. Yeah, exactly. So roads can be a way of like cutting people off from being able to expand in certain directions because you can sort of take up the space that they would have wanted to occupy. Yeah. And that's a really, really important tactic to, uh, to mention, actually. Um, if you're trying to cut someone off from a from a certain space where they could build a settlement, you know, even if you're not able to build a settlement yet, you might want to build a road to to stop them from getting there, mm-hmm. but to stifle them. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so we'll get more into gameplay uh, in a bit, and now we're going to talk about the very beginning of the game, uh, where each player places their settlements, uh, their first two settlements. That is. Yeah, and this is. Um... This could be, this is a pretty make or break, you know, it can be oh, either, yeah. it's probably the most important part of the game. Um, not that it's always, you know, what decides the game, but um, would be a great thing to get really good at <laughs> if you're if you're playing Catan. Um, yeah, so um, you everyone starts out looking out at a completely open board, right? Um, and you're playing with probably three or four people, unless you're playing with the expansion, you can have even more. Um and so you'll have, uh, you'll, you know, you'll choose the order that you're going to play in. Um, and whoever goes first um, gets to put down a settlement whatever, wherever they want uh, and then put a road next to that settlement going in whatever direction they want. Um, and then, you know, play goes to the next guy. So the second player can do that. Um, so you think first player just already has it um, best because... Uh, you know, they get to pick the very best spot to settle on the entire board. But the thing is that uh, the you're not just placing one settlement. Um, eventually, you're going to come back around and place a second settlement before you start the game. And this time, uh, he who went last shall go first. <laughs> so it's sort of like a snake draft where, um, you know, if you're the first player gets the first pick of the settlement and the last pick for their second settlement and the, you know, fourth player gets the last pick for their first settlement, but the first pick for their second settlement. And keep in mind, it can be three players or it can be six players. Um, but yeah, the last the last player to place in the first round is the first player to place in the second round. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so these, you know, you get two settlements right off the bat and um, you really got to figure out what to do with these things because, you know, um, you're going to try and use them to get set up to get right into the game and um, eventually make more settlements, right? So, you know, a couple things that uh, we like to think about is just like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a big topic, right? So what do you, how do you yeah. think we should get into it? Sure. So, I mean, I, I think uh, basic principles are, are kind of like, um, you know, you can either place on a tile with sorry on a on a space with access to three hexes or two or one if you want um and the probably the most useful principle is that three hex tiles are heavily more valuable than two or one even the ones with the ports um i mean you you really want a three resource tile uh because you just want to you want to diversify your resource set as much as possible and you want to be you want to have the most resources coming in as possible so i mean you'll find if you if you watch any of the games you will hardly ever see somebody um you know grab a two 
hex space. And that would be like a coast space, right? Like a coastal space, or like maybe you've got two hexes and the desert next to each other and you and you build there. Um, you, you rarely ever see that, um, except for like the person who placed first and now there's like, there's nothing else left that they can place inland. So they're forced to go to the coast. You know, there's a reason for that. Um, even if we can't properly explain why in probabilistic terms, although maybe you can, Mr. Statsman, but, um, (laughs) I'll try, you know, suffice it to say that those, those three, three, (laughs) three tile spaces are very important. Yeah. And um, another thing to think about is why a three-tiled um, spot would be better than a two-tiled spot. Um, one, because, for example, you can get three different resource types from it. So, like, you could get, you know, like, the ideal situation is maybe you get ore, wheat, and sheep all around your first settlement. Um, and then with the stuff you have there, you can already make cities and you can already make development cards uh, just from what you'll get from that one settlement. Um the other thing, so like there's, you know, diversity in what kinds of resources you can get, which is why you want to settle, which is why your first settlement's really important. Um, the other thing is the dots. Um, oh, yeah. And the dots, um, you know, this is where my stats background comes in. The, the dots are basically a, um, a little helpful tip underneath the number that's associated with each hexagon. And... Um, the more dots that are on that number, the more likely that number is to be rolled. So, for example, I, we t- told you already that um, seven is the most likely roll um, in Catan. Um, six and eight are then the next most likely, and then so on and so forth. As you get further away from seven, um, the rolls get less and less likely. And so on the board, you'll see sixes and eights are usually colored red and marked with five dots. Um, and this means that they're really high producing spots. So like if you have an ore tile with a six on it, um, that tile is going to give you a lot of ore if you settle next to it over the course of the game. Um, so one, you know, thing that you can do with your settlements is, and you really want to do is, is make sure that you're getting a lot of dots. Um, you know, like I think good numbers, like usually if you count up all the dots next to your first settlements, you'd hope they'd be somewhere in the realm of like, 11 to 13 dots mm-hmm. from what I from right. what I've experienced yeah, 11 to 13 for your first placement yeah mm-hmm. and there are reasons why you would um, sometimes prefer an 11 dot spot to a 13 mm-hmm. dot spot yeah. for sure absolutely um, you know for example one would be like oh if the 13 dot spot which has is gonna give you more resources but say all it has is like two wood spaces and a sheep space yeah. And it's like you can't really do much with that. Yeah. And wood and sheep don't really work well together either. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing that needs both wood and sheep are settlements. Um, but you can't build settlements unless you also have brick. So you need to make sure you have brick, and, you know, and then it, so on and so forth. So, yeah. Um, so the dots are something to look at, but mm-hmm. not the um, they're the easiest thing to do is just to yeah. count dots, you know. Right. But you need to think a lot about what resources you're getting, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, one, one thing that I think is helpful is, well, extending on the counting dots idea, uh, not only wanting to sort of figure out like which spaces produce the most dots, but also which resources are the most common and the most rare. Um, so like, you know, because of sort of the random setup of the board, uh, you won't have these resources 
distributed evenly all the time. You know, sometimes you'll have like or has only five dots total and maybe sheep has like 20 dots total or something like that. Um, so, you know, brick and ore will only will always only have three hexes each um, and the other three resources will have four hexes each. So it's more likely that a brick or an ore will be rare. But, you know, with a rare resource, um, you kind of want to make sure that you have some of it. Um, I mean, you. I, I shouldn't say definitely that you do, but you should look at maybe trying to get your hands on a resource like that, especially if it's something like ore, which is very valuable in general because it helps you build cities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, even if you have a space that's lower pips in general, um, you might still want to do that if you've got a rare resource. And yeah, I, I brought in pips just like a throwback to the backgammon episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's pretty much the same thing. But um, yeah, and I think, um, again, this is something I'm pulling directly from Trikasaurus's YouTube channel. Uh, I believe the rule of thumb he uses is that if there are less than 10, than 10 dots of one resource, then that resource is going to be rare, um, that game. Um, so like that's so your first two like pro tips very easy um, simple to remember is one, you know count the number of dots you can get with your first settlement like just total number of dots. Uh, number two, um, count the number of dots of each resource that are on the board, um, and this will help you because you know for example like I said if you have an eleven if you have an eleven dot spot available to you for your first settlement, but you know that 11 of those 11 dots five of them are for ore um and you know say like there's only eight eight dots of war of ore on the whole board sorry i'm getting tongue twisted here (laughs) but like say there's only eight dots of ore on the board um you know then getting five dots of ore with your first settlement is probably going to be very very important and well worth passing up a spot that gives you 12 or 13 dots that doesn't have any ore definitely Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a there's an old saying: no ore equals seven score. <laughs> uh, so, especially with ore, um, if it's a rare resource, you really want to get your hands on it because it can be very expensive to trade. Um, mm-hmm. You know, late in the game, we can we'll get into trading uh, in a bit. But um, okay, so besides counting, uh, which you can do very well by just counting. Um, yeah, have a little notepad if you really want. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Honestly, yeah, I, I recommend it um, at mm-hmm. least while you're first trying it out because yeah. um, eventually it'll be easier to just sort of see. Definitely. But yeah. And, you know, don't be afraid to take your time too. Um, you know, this is a game that is meant to take a while. Um, and, you know, like you can always, you know, table talk's a big a big part of this too. But like, you know, if, you, if it's your first time playing or you haven't played a lot, you know, I can say, hey, hey guys, just like be patient with me because like I haven't played a lot I I just want to make sure I've got everything going and then meanwhile you're just you're counting all the dots and making sure you know exactly what's happening yeah you can almost lure people into thinking you like into thinking you're not a threat (laughs) by just taking a long time but that's we'll talk about that later (laughs) yeah 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 Uh, (laughs) yeah okay so then um so next after counting uh you want to try and figure out look forward and figure out where your opponents will place. So like figure out what are the best spaces. You know, if I if I were orange or if I were blue, you know, the, the other colors in the game, then I 
I would want to place here when it when it comes to my turn. So you think like if your opponents are playing optimally, they'll probably want to place there too. And you know, so you apply the same counting principles of like you know rare resources and also overall pip count um, to figure out where the best opponent's placing spot would be, uh, and then you can sort of um, deduce where you will be able to place the next time. Um, and that'll help you to decide sort of where to orient your road. Um, you never want to like <laughs> to waste your initial road placement by pointing to a space that just ends up getting taken by uh, your next opponent or or any of your next opponents. Yeah, that that's very true. Uh, l looking ahead is definitely, I think, for me, one of the harder parts. It's um, super hard. Like, it, it, it's not going to come easy, uh, at least if it does, you know, you're a genius. But, um, or delighted. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but one thing, yeah, like you said, I mean, sometimes it's almost just, just easier. It's, like, usually a better move, um, but obviously not always, to just po point your road towards the coast um, just so you don't get cut off, um, especially if you're, like, first player and then everyone else is going to put down two settlements by the time it gets back to you. Um, yeah, you're probably not going to get, um, you know, your road is pretty likely to get cut off if you point it towards another juicy spot. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah um, and I think a good a good way of thinking about it is like the, you know, the eight best spaces for a settlement will be taken mm -hmm. within the initial placement round if you're playing with four players. And so you know, the rest of the spaces that are available are probably subpar. Not, I mean, maybe maybe a few are good, but most of them are not so good. So you don't really want to waste resources fighting for like an average at best settlement when you could just have an easier settlement by the coast you mm. know, and, and not have it contested, not waste as many resources, still get the victory point, still get a boost in production. Maybe if you're lucky, even get a port. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's like, that's probably the easiest way for me is just to like, especially when you're doing your dot counting, um, you know, just try and keep a track of the eight most dotted spots that you could possibly like, you know, place on the board. Um, and usually those are the spots that people are going to take. So you can kind of, you can kind of plan it. Like that's the one easy way to do it, is look at all the spots with high dots. <laughs> um, and then look at all the spots with high dots and then sort of try and order those spots, like which of those are the best. Um, and then that is like a pretty rough way to approximate what's going to be taken by the time, it, um, you know, you get to choose your next settlement. So yeah, I mean, again, definitely something I have trouble with um, is predicting all of the uh, opponent's spots. And um, for example, it's why I, I have a lot um I'm a lot less anxious when I'm playing as the fourth player or yeah. the last player because I don't have to think that hard. I just look at the board when when it comes to my turn and I put two settlements down. Um, it's a bigger deal when you're going first and you need to think about everyone else's settlements mm -hmm. and plan something out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so we, we've talked about, you know, dots. We've talked about rare resources, um, keeping track of those kinds of dots we've talked about thinking about your opponents um now the other big thing that i think is just like you can't you it's easy easy to overlook um you need to be able to build stuff <laughs> with your first couple settlements um 
that's sort of why, um, you know, an easy, like a very nice balanced strategy to play is just to try and get all five of the resources um, available through your first two settlements. Um, because you'll probably always be able to build something. Um, maybe you won't have the highest number of dots, but, um, you know, you, you won't like need to build roads and not have any wood, for example. You'll always have a little bit of something um, or ways of getting something. But yeah, I mean, like you, you kind of want to get resources that are complementary to one to one another. Yeah, definitely. So I mean, you don't you don't want to have a ton of wood and no brick, for example, because then you. <laughs> so I think maybe we maybe we didn't mention this when we were going over the rules, but if nobody wants to trade resources for you, you have and you don't have any ports, um, the exchange rate with the bank is four to one. So you have to give up four resources for one from the bank. Um, and number one, it's really hard to get up to four resources in your hand. And number two, if you do, you probably have, you know, over seven resources and need to be aware of the robber. So just go, you know, just looking at pip counts, you know, to get the most total resources, uh, will have that common pitfall of, um, you know, if your resources aren't diversified, then you'll have piles and piles of wood or piles of sheep in your hand. And um, you'll always be either afraid of the robber or having to trade at really bad rates. And it's just going to be a really slow move forward. So you definitely want to make sure you have um, spread out resources. So you've got some wood and also some brick. And you've got you've got some ore, but also some wheat. Um, and like you know, you might not be able to get all five resources on your first turn, but you should at least try to get some that work together, like get an ore and a wheat or get a brick and a wood. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, that last part, really nice rule of thumb. Um, you kind of either want to build on this brick wood axis where you have, uh, easy ability to build a lot of roads and, and, you know, by extension settlements or, um, or and wheat um that's not the first time we've been making that joke to each other so we're already sick of it but so title yeah <laughs> exactly um yeah oh yeah shoot i forgot to mention that when we actually started the episode yeah. or are you ready to play Catan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah so or and wheat work really well together and brick and wood work really well together um those are two things to like either. Yeah. If you, if you can get wood, you're really going to want to get brick, for example. Um, another rule of thumb is that no wheat equals defeat. Mm -hmm. um, you know, wheat is like sort of mentioned this earlier, but wheat is um, a really valuable resource because it's featured. You need it for to build three of the four things that you yeah. can build. Mm -hmm. The only thing you don't need wheat for is, um, is roads. Right. And the only reason you build roads is that you can is that so that you can build settlements, which you need wheat for. Right. <laughs> so you pretty much need um, wheat or a way to get to wheat, um, you know, in like every game. Uh, that's that's why it's a rule of thumb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So think about that when you're placing your first two settlements is like either, you know, and sometimes it doesn't mean you have to have it. But, um, you know, when we talk later about trading, you can also think, okay, I have... Um, a lot of wood and brick um and this other player has a ton of wheat and 
you know, some wood. Right. Um, and so they're going to need brick. So then you can sort of strike a, you know, favorable trade relation with them so that you give them brick for their wheat. Um, like you can get wheat without having a hex of it that your settlement's on, but um, if you don't want to be too fancy with it, you can always just settle next to wheat. <laughs> right. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, diversification of resources, uh, super important and getting complementary resources. And the last thing, uh, before we take a break, uh, diversify the numbers that you're on. Um, so like you want to, after your first two settlement placements, you want to have like five or six numbers. Um, and Trichosaurus does a great analysis on this and how essential this is, but you want to have five or six different numbers that if rolled give you a resource um so that means you know thinking about it like mathematically um if you've got six numbers um <laughs> i mean i guess i just hung myself out to dry because i don't know the precise percentage but i feel like you're you're getting something like half the time if you've got yeah. six resources i mean it definitely six depends numbers. on which numbers but like right you know there's only 12 possible numbers right to be rolled you know it's it's two it, somewhere in between two and 12 mm -hmm. um that the wait so is that 11? so that's 11 actually yeah 11 yeah. there's only 11 mm -hmm. possible numbers to be rolled so if you have six of them then you know you're going to be getting it's like you're going to be getting a slow trickle of resources at least yeah um yeah and that and that's really helpful because for one like again it's like you'll always you'll you'll likely be able to build something when it right. comes to your turn More often than not. um mm -hmm. and then the other thing is that it's just going to be um, you're going to be much safer from the robber mm -hmm. because if, for example, if like all your resources are on the same number, um, just for an extreme example, like they're, you know, say all of your stuff comes to you when you roll a six, then like, yeah, you roll one six and then, um, you have like six cards in your hand. And then the next mm -hmm. time you roll a six, you have 12 and then there, and then someone rolls a seven and you have to give them up. Right. Like, you're going to be, um, a lot more vulnerable to be robbed mm -hmm. and yeah. Yeah. So that's sort of why number diversification diversification is nice. Um, you know, it's like, theoretically, I'm doing the stats here, and, um, you know, it, it shouldn't really matter. It's not going to affect the overall, um, like, overall how many resources you're intaking. Because if you have, you know, two settlements, if you have, if you have two tiles with two different numbers, as opposed to two tiles with the same number it's like the one will be rolled half as much but it'll give you twice as many resources when you do mm -hmm. roll it so right, right. you're going to take in the same amount of resources but it's the issues like with the robber and with not having the right resources yeah um that's like that's going to be sort of a problem yeah and like uh you know if you've got if you've got two settlements or two cities on the same hex, you know, you've got to be careful as well because you make yourself a real easy target for the robber. Mm -hmm. Somebody can say, oh, I cut off like three resources from this person by placing the robber here. It's an it's a no brainer or even, you know, a monopolized tile. Easy, easy target, even mm -hmm. if it's like an 11, like I'm tempted to put it there like every right. time. So, yeah, diversify your numbers, diversify your resources uh, and, you know. Learn to count and don't be afraid to take time to do so. Yeah. <laughs> and lastly, I'll just offer a complete counter argument to the diversifying numbers. Um, one case you would want to do it um, is when you can get complementary resources on the same number. So, for example, 
always keep an eye out. The main one that comes up is wood and brick. Mm-hmm. Um, because if there's like, for example, a wood that has a five on it and a brick that has a five on it, and you put settlements on both of those hexes, then every time a five is rolled, you can build a road. So that's like really handy and um, very efficient. Um, it's not going to come up every game. Yeah. Um, even like with any other resources, like with ore and wheat, ore and wheat. it you, you have it's good, yeah. but you have it's to nice. have that number rolled a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you need more ore than you do wheat right. when you build a city. So, so someone it, can just kind of screw you by like putting the robber on the ore mm-hmm. and you'll always have more wheat than ore and you won't have anything to do with the wheat. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so something to keep in mind, not going to come up every game, but yeah. And um, with that, I think we can finally move on from uh, initial settlement placements. <laughs> um, so play. now we're starting the game. <laughs> and yep. um, uh, what is this minute? Um, oh, we don't even, we're not even going to mention what minute it is. I think it's, it's, about, I think it's about 44, 45. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think we're going to take a quick break. Uh, and then when we come back, we'll... We won't rush through, but we'll we'll get through early and late game in an efficient manner. Yes, efficiency. Definitely. Definitely. But we, we will uh, see you in a few seconds. All right. Hello and welcome to How to Beat Your Kids at Board Games' first ever advertisement. Yes, that's right. We're moving up in the world and we have ourselves our very own sponsor. So without further ado, are you tired of sliced bread? Is the same old loaf just not cutting it anymore? Then upgrade to Dayton's Better Bread. Dayton's bread is baked fresh without preservatives to ensure the tastiest loaf. Dayton's Better Bread Company has been proudly serving Southern California since 2015. For more information, check out Dayton's Better Bread Company on Instagram for more. And let me assure you, this is the best thing since sliced bread. All right, and we are back. How was your break, John? Uh, My break was pretty good. Uh I feel quite refreshed. Um, you look refreshed. You've done something new with your hair. Um. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, I have not gotten my haircut in many months, and I've got the Ace Ventura go- do going. Yeah, if uh, if you guys could see Dan right now, you'd you know you'd understand that I'm having quite difficulty focusing, uh, looking at that mane. <laughs> um, but we're gonna I'm gonna try my best. <laughs> so yeah. All right. So uh, so. I hope you enjoyed our segments on sort of the origin of the game and uh, talking about initial settlement placement. And we're finally ready to get into uh, actual dice rolling, gameplay, trading, the whole shebang. So uh, let's talk about what you want to be thinking about in the early game. So that's right after the placements and, you know, sort of for the first few turns uh, before, say, any real leader emerges or before anyone's starting to think seriously about um, sort of how they can capitalize and win the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we, you've placed your initial settlements. Um, if you followed our tips, hopefully you have access to either brick and wood or ore and sheep. Um, so your, your goals will be a little or bit different. Wheat, I mean, I think, what? I think you mean ore and wheat. Yes. Or on wheat. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Um, my bad. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, so for example, you know, one thing I, I look to pretty 
consistently if I have the or wheat start. Um, I'm looking to get at least one more settlement in. Um, and so how do you do that if you just have or and wheat? Um, you're going to want to trade. <laughs> yeah. uh, so this is going to be sort of like a big... Um, a big part of the early game is because no one like it's going to be difficult for everyone to have the resources that they need right when they want them um, because you only have two settlements. Um, you know, maybe you have all five resources through through those two settlements, but no guarantee you'll have them at the right time. Um, so this is when it's really important to look at your position, other people's positions and be like, what who needs ore and who needs wheat and who can give me brick and wood? Um so yeah, so like one thing I like to do is, you know, obviously if you have good chances where you have a lot of wheat and, and ore, um, definitely I like putting up extra cities uh, or as many cities as you can. Um, but yeah, I also think that like getting a settlement up um, so that you can maybe round out your resources a little bit more um, quickly is really important for the ore wheat sheep player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would say if you've if you've got ore and wheat, and you've like you have the opportunity to build a city in the first few turns, uh, I'd pretty much always say take it because oh, yeah. that that city will pay huge dividends going forward. Mm-hmm. You know, so thinking about like it'll give you more resources with which to trade and get that next settlement, whereas like getting to that next settlement might like cost you a lot of resources, and then it won't give you quite as much as that uh, city which you built on you know one of the best eight settlement places yeah yeah i mean a city cities are amazing on your first two settlements usually because um those first settlements will have a lot of dots and a city basically doubles the production of whatever settlements it's it's on so um you can think of it as like if you had a 10 dot settlement putting a city on it you know adds another 10 dots of production so, whereas a new settlement that maybe is on the coast, so it's only on two tiles, you know, maybe it adds like seven dots. So it's just not as good of a, it's not really boosting you as much. Um, but yeah, the re- I mean, the reason I think that you want to get, I think you want to get to like one more settlement. But like Dan says, you know, you take what you get. I mean, an early city is amazing. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but you, you also don't really want to get boxed in. You right. want to be careful about like knowing where... If you have like time pressure, like, oh, if I don't build a road here now, is someone else going to steal my spot? Yeah. Um, this is what you have to worry about when you're playing or wheat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think a good, um, you know, a, a good rule of thumb is once you've got that initial settlement phase, or I mean, even before, if you, if you're looking that far ahead, you want to know like, okay, this is probably the spot where I'm going to build my next settlement and this is how I'm going to get there. So, you know, if you've got ore and wheat, but you don't have any brick or wood, you want to say, okay, well, I'm going to need to build, you know, at least one more road here. Um, and so I'm hoping for these rolls. Hopefully I can trade a blank for a blank um, mm-hmm. and and get to that space. And then, um, you know, that's where my settlement will come from. So, you know, not not thinking like into the far future, but sort of thinking into the near future. Um, and how, where that settlement's going to come from, you don't, you don't want to be passive on your turns. Yeah. Even, you know, even if you can't build anything, um, even if your hand is really small, that doesn't really give you a a free pass to just ignore what's going on in the game. Um, because 
one thing that I think we've both taken from a lot of the research that we've done is that, um, you know, keeping track of what your opponent's doing uh, sort of allows you to figure out what you can be doing better. Uh, if your opponents, if you know your opponents are in need of this ore that you have a lot of, but you don't have the complementary wheat, um, then you can trade it off for good stuff, right? But if you're not paying attention and you don't know that they want the ore, um, you might not understand what kind of bargaining power you have in the trade. Um, you also might not even offer the trade because you might think, oh, I need this ore for my cities. Yeah. Um, or, or you might be sort of naive and not realize how how trading how how important trading is and say oh well i'm getting a lot of ore so i'll just exchange this for wheat or exchange this for wood to balance my hand out and then i can build my roads when you really don't want to do it at that four to one rate especially with a resource like ore and how valuable it is like people will always pretty much always it seems like people will give you a good good price for ore yeah ore tends to be a nice one to trade for um, to sort of shift over to like kind of how you play the different kind of strategy, the wood, wood brick. Um, cause like, for example, um, if you have, if you have good wood and brick in your starting settlements, building roads should be very, um, frankly, pretty easy for you. Um, so I like, I, in the beginning of the game, when I have wood and brick, I like to sort of go out and claim spots. Um, I like to use my increased ability to build roads to, beat out opponents to spots. Um, now, a caveat to that is, you know, only race them when you know you're going to win. Yeah. Um, but when you have a sure thing, you know, and you can cut off an opponent to a settlement, like that's that's so good. Uh, it, it'll set back your opponent so much because they have to build more and more roads. Uh, they won't get as good of a settlement yeah. and stuff like that. And you as the road builder don't even really lose much because you got wood and brick for days and... You know, you might even, I mean, you're you're building roads, so you're going towards longest road. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's it's not a loss less strategy, but I mean, it's it can be very effective. You know, one thing if I'm if I'm the city up player, the the ore and wheat player, that's the thing I'm most afraid of is having my good spots, which mm -hmm. I will have very limited um, time and resources to get to blocked off by somebody who's bleeding or in, uh, sorry bleeding brick and wood right yeah um sort of what we're mentioning you know you can use wood and brick to very great effect in the beginning of the game so also know that your wood and brick are very valuable for trading um in the beginning in the end it'll sort of fall off actually so that's one thing to keep in mind so wood and brick are really valuable in the beginning wheat and ore more valuable at the end mm -hmm. um so you can use this to uh, to your advantage while trading. One thing that I like to do, um, well, yeah, I like to do it because I learned it from you know people that are better than me. But um, is keep track of when people get wood because then you'll know when they need brick, right? Um, and vice versa, uh, you you can sort of keep track of when when people have one half of the complementary resources they need to make something. Um, and that way you can get better trade value out of your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, wooden brick, really valuable in the beginning. Um, 
leverage that trading to like especially for for the people that have orange wheat they really freaking need that wooden brick yeah, so you can absolutely. get really good prices you from that you can get a lot from that um, it's a really easy way you know if you have wooden brick maybe you're missing either one of sheep or wheat it's really easy to way to fill up on those so that you can make your settlements is by just trading away like one brick. Yeah, and you and like you'll know that, you know, I you I know you need this one brick really badly to build this road. Um, so I'm not taking just one sheep. Give me two sheep and a wheat or something mm -hmm. like that. You know, um, I mean maybe don't like don't say it like that because you need to remain in good graces with your trading partners. But you know, know that know that you have what's in short supply and don't be afraid to ask for a lot for it. Mm -hmm. You know, a good maxim when it comes to trading is, um, you know, the person who cares less is the winner. <laughs> so if they're desperate for a brick, they'll be willing to give you more stuff and you should take it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, th I think trading is just huge in the beginning because like I said, no one's going to have everything um, before their game's really going. And so, keeping track of what people need and also just asking them what they need. Frankly, you don't really need to keep track. Um, but we have a couple of tips, um, for you to keep track. Uh, yeah. but you know, quite frankly, talking to people, um, seeing what they need, seeing what you have to offer. These are all ways that you can make something out of a hand that usually couldn't build anything. Mm -hmm. Um, very important to like, keep this in mind. Yeah, and, and since you mentioned having a hand uh, that's able to build something, uh, a good rule of thumb is you don't want to ask for a trade that will not complete a set. So, mm -hmm. like, you know, obviously a wooden brick is easy. You know, you just ask for the other one, and it's it's a complete set. But, you know, if you're, if you're looking to build a city and you've got two wheat and one ore, you, you might not want to ask for that for for just one or with whatever you're giving away um and again this is this is contingent but you know if you've got or on the board and like you don't know what's going to be rolled so like the last thing you want is you know to give something valuable away for that or and then it's rolled the next turn and you get it anyway mm -hmm. um so you know like you uh yeah you in general you want to only ask for trades that complete sets and when somebody else asks you for a trade maybe you don't complete a set i mean you still try uh but you know if you don't just make sure you get a lot yeah you get, get what it's worth exactly mm -hmm. and um you know in this game it might seem uh you know like, like same dan's describing a hand where you can't really do much with it two wheat one or um it might seem like kind of a waste to sit with those cards in your hand but you know, there's power in waiting. Absolutely. Um, one, I don't, you know, like you, you have to keep in mind that the robber will come and take your cards if you wait too long. So that's the main penalty for waiting. Uh, well, that and not having a city earlier, for example. But um, uh, you know, the main reason that I wait is because is for example, when I have one road in hand, I have a wooden a brick in hand, but I need two roads to cut off my opponent. Um. You know, this is one, one that's in a situation where you really want to keep that in your hand because if your opponent happens to have stuff to build roads in their hand, then they can beat you out. If you just put one road down and then wait for the next road, um, you leave yourself open to like wasting a road, right. for example, if you commit too early. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, huge takeaway. Waiting is 
always an option and very often the best option. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so, so we've kind of talked about um, some, you know, different uh, different tactics um, to pull off for the early game. Uh, I think it revolves heavily around knowing what your strategy's weaknesses are. Well, first, and but first, you need to know what your strategy is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, we've talked about or, or and wheat, having a lot of ore and wheat. Um, we've talked about having a lot of wooden brick. Um, but it's important to know why these things are good and where you're going to go with them. Um, yeah. Yeah. And a lot of what we've been talking about, you know, in terms of the wood, like the wood brick strategy and building roads, you know, that's great. But building roads, even building the longest road alone is not going to win you the game if you don't have any cities. It it physically cannot because you can only build up to five settlements. Um, so yeah, five, five settlements plus the longest road is only seven points. So right, that's where the no or seven score seven score comes from because yeah. you can get all of those things without any or those five settlements and longest road but you won't win the game so you're going to have to know how you're going to reach those victory conditions so like in this case how am i going to get those three cities and or victory points from the development card deck um like can I can I get a port where I can trade easily for ore, you know, and easily and reliably for ore? You know, um, is ore a rare resource that like I can get my hands on and get get myself some bargaining power? Um, you know, you've got to you've got to have that plan, um, because that the worst the worst thing is to just perfectly execute a strategy that is going to get you nowhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Perfectly, perfectly do something that will get you exactly nine points. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I, for, for example, in a recent game that I played, I didn't realize that you could only build four cities. <laughs> and so I set myself perfectly for my fifth city and then was not able to build it. And I lost. <laughs> so you lost with nine points. Right? I lost with nine points. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So, you know, you got to start, you're already, even though it's the beginning of the game, um, you know, your settlements, your, your first settlements already are going to tell you how you're probably going to plan on winning. Um, then from there, what you need to think about is what's the, what are the steps I need to take to get myself in the position to win? Um, you know, this is why, for example, I suggest for the, or wheat player, you want to get one more settlement because that makes Mm -hmm. it, and you want to get it quick because once you get to three settlements, then you can just build three cities and, um, hopefully be in a good spot. Maybe ideally get a fourth settlement, but you know, Mm -hmm. somewhere along the way, whereas, you know, with the wood brick, um, for the wood brick guy, um, you know, setting you up for the win is going to be developing your road system, taking up space on the board to build a lot more settlements. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, making the trades that you need yep. to get those settlements if you're missing wheat or sheep. Right. Uh, it's like you, you're you just like taking it one step at a time mm-hmm. and you're thinking, what's my next step? And then also hopefully you're thinking, what are my opponent's next steps? Mm-hmm. And um, how am I going to work around that? Yeah. Um, but I like to take the game one step at a time and, and that's, I feel like, one or, or maybe two mm-hmm. um, and that's how you're going to get the most from your early game trades right. and hopefully get an advantage over uh, other players who maybe are just um just like oh i'm gonna need a 
wheat in a couple turns to build my settlement. Why don't I just like give away some resources for it? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, have this plan and know that, um, like be proactive about achieving your goals in this game. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the reason it's harder to look further than a turn or two ahead is because you've got dice rolling and it's really hard. <laughs> I mean, it's impossible to know what's going to come up next on the dice and what everyone's going to, what everyone's hand is going to look like three turns from now. But, you know, you can have a good idea based on where things are now. Um, you know, so you can know, for example, oh, this person has a lot of ore, wheat, and sheep. So they're going to buy development cards and they're going to go for the largest army. So I probably can't get the largest army, you know, if I'm the if I'm the wood and brick player. So I'm not going to even try to compete on that front. I'm mm -hmm. going to try to maybe build a city or two. So that's what I'm going to trade for. And I'm going to leave the sheep to the wolves. Mm -hmm. You know, so that, yeah. that kind of thing. No, I, I, I agree with you um, completely. Um, with that, I think we're about ready to start talking about the late game. Yeah, I think we are. Okay, cool. Now, you know, we actually don't even have that much written here um, yeah. because I, I think a lot of times if you set up your early game right, um, then the late game will just be carrying out the strategies you picked in the mm -hmm. early game. Right. Um, you know, if you're setting yourself up for longest road, um, you're going to want to play sort of tactically to remember or to keep the longest road. Um, mm -hmm. You know, in the late game, you got to keep track of all the counts. Keep like, oh, I've got seven roads. Uh, right, a seven length road right now but so and so if they're able to build two more roads they'll get up to eight um you know and they have a lot of development cards so they might have the road building card mm -hmm. you know things like that you're going to want to watch out for um to make sure you can achieve the things that will make you win yeah definitely so i mean um like a few a few good things to keep in mind late in the game is that uh trading like tends to die down a lot because when people get higher scores um you know you don't want to be the guy who like gives the person the two like you know the two ore they need to build their last city and win the game mm -hmm. or or like you know maybe they have seven points but maybe they have a few development cards in their hand and those could be victory points and so you don't even want to take the chance even though they're not quote close to victory you know mm -hmm. So, um, so trading becomes a lot less of a way for you to get ahead, uh, I would say. And, um, you know, it, it depends a lot more on the board you've sort of set up for yourself, um, as a result of your early game strategy. Um, so yeah, you want to be, you want to be overly cautious in trading. Um, and a quick note on these, uh, these victory conditions, this largest army, and road uh, sorry longest road uh these are really important and um you know you really should not um you should not plan on winning if you don't have one of these <laughs> um, i mean you should always yeah. plan on winning but it's going to be very difficult um an another great analysis by trichosaurus uh found that only 13% of winners, um, I think he did this over like 794 games or whatever, only 13% of winners um, had neither of these um, victory conditions, these these awards. 18% um, of the time, a person had both, which I think is 
is pretty darn unusual. I've never really yeah. seen that happen. I mean, I think in that case, you're, you're just completely dominating. Yeah, like maybe <laughs> would, you got really guess. favorable roles at the beginning or whatever. But yeah, that, that's like a landslide. Well, I don't know. I mean, and maybe you just got out to yeah, maybe you got out to a really early start. Mm-hmm. You know, imagine if you have both longest road and largest army, you only need six points. Yeah, other than that, yeah, like that's exactly. not that, and that's not that hard. It's not. Uh, and I mean, if you were buying development cards, you know, that you have the resources to build like three cities, yeah. you know, so, but, but anyway, um, you know, that, that happens even more often than neither, like both happens more often than neither, which I think is noteworthy. Uh, but I think it was like f- 41% of the time the winning strategy featured longest road, um, alone and not largest army. And I think 28% of the time was, um, largest army and not not longest road I, th- I think the longest road may have been 51 percent. again we'll, wow. we'll check my math but that's anyway, surprising to me you gotta have uh no it, it was 41 because they they added up to 69 percent um yeah so so you really you really have to be thinking about how you can get one or both of these and it might not be obvious but i mean even the city player sometimes um you know late in the game will have sort of undeveloped like road an undeveloped road network but like if the other players aren't careful if they haven't boxed you in like they were supposed to you know maybe you can make a few quick trades with the bank maybe you were able to pick up a port and like you know sneak in a backdoor road for the longest road or maybe you know you connect a four segment road with a five segment road that's that's a sneaky way to do it as well um is like people will usually just build roads in one direction but if you start off on opposite sides of the board connecting those two roads is a good way to leapfrog into the lead Mm -hmm. with just a few segments yeah i i think one thing that you'll see at really high levels of play in Catan that um you know obviously don't be discouraged if you if you aren't seeing these paths but you know you'll you'll see guys go from you know six or seven victory points to a win in one turn um, and this is because they plan their options out carefully. Like, for example, they'll, you know, they'll know that they have the longest road as soon as they play their road building card. Um, and then they'll, and then, they, you know, comes to their turn, they have seven points. People are like, oh, this guy's not that much of a threat. Um, they're like, oh, he's trading ore for sheep this late in the game. Like what, like what's going on or, ore for brick or something like that. And then all of a sudden, boom, you throw down a road building, um, you know, put two more roads down. Uh, grab the longest road and then place a settlement and boom, you're up to 10 points. You win the game. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So like these sort of sneaky wins are good. And that's like, I think it's an important thing to keep in mind is like um, sort of keep your options hidden Mm -hmm. (laughs) or try your best to keep your options of winning hidden. Uh, It's sort of a lot like uh, risk like that. We've talked about that. You really don't want to put that massive target on your back by being the player in the lead. (laughs) Um, so that's why these sneaky wins are actually, I think, more possible than you might think. Yeah. And along with like not um, sort of not giving away what your options are, you know, you don't want you don't want people to know you have road building in your hand. So you only want to use it if, you know, you get victory or close to victory or um, if you get it early in the game. Make sure it does a lot for you because it's a really it's a really nice sneaky card to have uh but you know another another thing um that it's a kind of cool tactic is the night bluff uh so so basically before you 
roll the dice on your turn, you have the option of playing a, a development card. So you can play a development card, then roll the dice, or you can roll the dice and then play a development card. And so um, maybe you have a victory point as a development card. You can't do anything with a victory point during the game, but you can make people think that you have a knight um, by, you know, maybe looking at looking at your card, you know, furrowing your brow, thinking a little bit, and then, you know, uh, no, I'm just going to roll the dice. Um, you know, make people think that you're deciding, okay, should I use this knight or not? Where do I want to put the robber, etc.? Just, you know, the less of your hand that you can show, the better. Um, because, you know, if, if, if you're a mystery, people don't adequately account for the fact that you could be a threat <laughs> right yeah i mean especially this is going to come up if you know you guys like we expect you to are just playing with your friends at home <laughs> as opposed to playing against other people who have gone through the effort of signing up for a dominion on or sorry Catan online league uh, and are playing super seriously you know you're, you're probably just playing with your buddies and um you know while they might not think critically about it, what if they do one, like that means you can sort of bluff them a lot easier. Yeah. Um, and two, it means that you can probably read them. Yeah. You can like probably very easily um, figure out what development cards they hold just by like thinking about, Oh, if I had this card, I would definitely play it right now in their position. And then they don't yeah. play it. And you're like, okay, I know they don't have a knight. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you never want to give away the information. Like if you are playing against seasoned players, and you don't bluff the knight, you've just given away the information that you definitely don't have a knight, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, always, always thinking about how, how to read your opponent's options and give away as few of yours, you know, you, you yeah, <laughs> you get a lot into, into poker in the late game. It's all, yeah. it's almost more closely related to poker at the, at the end. Whereas at the beginning with the settlement phase, it's a lot more like chess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It becomes, oh yeah. Towards the end, it's so much about understanding what your opponent is capable of. Um, in the beginning, it's a lot about making sure they won't be, making sure you'll be more capable than them. Yeah. For example. Definitely. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, there's a ton more that we have on our notes right now. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, we could go on for hours and hours. Um, so I think we'll just probably touch on maybe one or two more things. Um, you know, uh, I'm thinking here that we've, so we've talked a lot about have a plan, uh, carry out your plan. Um, obviously, this is going to look different in every game. Um, you know, and, and keep that in mind. Um I think it's important because as you'll get better, your plans will get better. <laughs> yeah. Um, so at first, you know, just try, don't, you know, try having a plan um, and carrying it out. See if, see if it works. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then later see like, oh, maybe I could have had a better plan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Look back at the games, things like that. Um, you know, it's, especially with the late game, because you can, you'll probably have so many resources Mm -hmm. um, you'll be able to do so much right. that your choices will really matter. Mm -hmm. In the early game, sometimes it's like, oh, well, I obviously, you know, I have the resources to build a road. I need a road. Let's mm -hmm. build a road. Right. <laughs> um, in the end, it's like, oh, my gosh. Um, 
if I uh, make this city, that'll put me up to uh, this many points, which means if a seven, if a five is rolled and um, so and so gets sheep, I can trade them. Uh, you know, <laughs> there's so many things to consider. Um, but that's what's fun about learning this game, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a infinite layers to be explored, and you know we will almost certainly uh, have another episode on on the deeper layers at at some point. Mm -hmm. Like um, for example, we we literally just a few seconds ago talked for a few minutes just on how to bluff development cards. <laughs> like that isn't even you know like yeah. that's just that's like a a tiny part of this this big old game. So there's a lot um, to learn and. You know, I'm I'm excited to keep talking about this game. Definitely, <laughs> I hope we do. Um, yeah, you know, who knows when? But <laughs> yeah, who knows when? But but we'll we'll get there. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Cool. So um, maybe maybe I, I I think we we should close by touching on the human element and then uh, having a quick uh, sort of quick hits of reminders of of what we've touched on so far. Mm -hmm. Sure. So I mean, uh, John did mention this, but you don't want to put a target on your back. Um, so you, you don't want to alienate yourself from the other players. Um, you know, when you trade, you get better and the person you trade with gets better and everyone else in the game stays where they are. So it's not a zero sum game. Um, you know, you and this other person are, are benefiting from this. And so you really don't want to be out of that trading game because you're losing a very valuable way to get ahead. Mm -hmm. So you want to stay in the good graces of your opponents. You want to be polite. You don't want to, you don't want to get mad at somebody for taking too long to move. <laughs> you know, you don't you, like, you want to be patient. You want to stay on everyone's good side. You, and, you know, at more advanced levels of play, you know, you even want to maybe start garnering some sympathy mm -hmm. like this is what what people like delighted are very good at saying like oh man like i i i had a really rough start good luck guys you know <laughs> like people just it's it's so important to not throw out that element because you will not win the majority of your games by waiting for lots of resources and going four to one or three to one or even two to one when you finally get it. You need that. You need your trading partners, just like the real economy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like if you really want an illustration of how bad a four to one trade is and even how bad a three to one trade is, um, it's like, okay, yeah, I have three wood. Um, if I had planned it better, um, Instead of using this three wood to get one ore, I could have one ore, one wheat, and one sheep and get a whole development card. Like, if you're trading away three wood, um, you know, theoretically, those three cards, someone else could have gained three cards and they could have gotten them an entire development card. Mm -hmm. So that's like a weird way to sort of visualize how inefficient um, these trades are. Like, you know the person who's able to make to take those four wood and trade one wood to all the other players and get something good from it yeah. is going to be so much better off than so the person good. who takes four wood and gives it to the bank and gets one sheep, yeah. <laughs> you know, Definitely. <laughs> um, just one-to-one -one trades, even if they're not quite as like, even if they're not quite as instantly useful, um, as like even if, yeah even if they're not like insanely good trades are still much better than mm -hmm. four to one trades definitely <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Okay. and that's why table talk is table talk is big and um it's mm -hmm. realistically 
the reason why this game is fun for me. Like yeah, I have just memories when I'm when I was young playing with my friends and literally the whole time just being like, okay, um, so you're saying that you want uh, one ore and one sheep. Okay, uh, I can give you uh, one wheat, um, and no, I can give you one ore and one sheep if you give me one wheat and one sheep. <laughs> just like, like, no, 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 wait, that doesn't make any sense. That's just like, no, no, just don't worry about how about, that. <laughs> how about you loan me a wheat and a sheep and the next turn? No. Yeah. Um, just just like having fun messing around and making trades is like, I think, honestly, the reason why this game is so popular. Mm-hmm. You know, not not because like, oh, it's, it's really fun putting your little blocks down on these hexagons. Yeah. Like that's pretty satisfying to get all the resources you need and stuff like that. But um, ultimately this is, I feel like why you play Catan (laughs) is because you're trying to, you're trying to talk. Yeah. Order in some pizza, like just have a, have a fun night with friends talking the whole time. Yeah. So, so be communicative. Um, Yeah. I mean, don't, don't be a, don't be a meanie. Yeah. <laughs> um, don't rub it in people's faces yep. when they're losing um, because yep. they might just go ahead and offer all their resources to your enemies. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, you don't want to be that guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but also have fun with the game. And, um, you know, I think the more you talk and the more you get into it um, over time, your your natural uh, negotiation skills will get better. Definitely. Definitely. So don't be afraid. <laughs> yep. All right, so closing out with some quick hits. So remember, no wheat equals defeat. Mm-hmm. No ore equals seven score. Waiting is always an option and often the best option. And in trading, the one who cares less wins. wins. And uh, one more, a little bonus quick Ooh. hit is um, uh, feed ore, uh, wheat, and sheep to the player who wants largest army. <laughs> but is losing that's not really not really a maxim but um no but that's an important one (laughs) definitely feed development cards to the to the bad or wheat sheep player yep oh that's that's a really good one actually Um, see what i mean there's so much more that we could cover uh we're gonna cut it off at i think something like an hour 20 but uh don't worry there's more where this came from uh we're always happy to be here with you guys thank you for listening yeah i I don't have anything else to add, so uh, this has been How to Beat Your Kids at Board Games, signing off. Thank you for listening to this episode of How to Beat Your Kids at Board Games. We hope you enjoyed it and that you learned something. We always do. If you like our show, please tell your friends and be sure to rate or review us wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by typing our acronym HTBYKABG in the search bar. If you have questions, comments, feedback, or suggestions for games you'd like us to cover, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at htbykabg at gmail.com or message us on social media. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. 